My second interview with Jonathan Beach is easily, easily the most underappreciated show I've done. JB is one of the most influential people in my professional life. We don't all get to record the semi-mythical stories that form our intellectual style and professional value system, but I do. So this is one of those stories I tell to just about everyone given enough time, because like all great fables, I think it teaches powerful lessons in how to behave and how the world works. In this story, an ounce of kindness bought riches and devastation. It serves as a tool for thinking about the interplay between knowledge, responsibilities, and the power of simple human decency. On with the show. I want to turn to another story that I think about a lot that you told me once, and I'll set it up this way and how it was set up in our experience together where we were having dinner with an underwriter once. And it was clear that he wasn't going to play ball. He wasn't going to do the deal that we wanted him to do. And at the end of it, uh, you were very nice to him. You said, you know, I understand your reasons, and I think I think you did a great job, and thanks, and we'll, we'll come back for the next deal. And I remember we were walking back to the hotel. When we, uh, as we were walking back, I, re- I remarked to you that I th- that was a very interesting switch there. I'd never seen something like that before. And then you told me a story. Uh, maybe you can. Maybe that's enough of a setup. That that, that of another experience you had where where you uh, you gracefully bowed out of a deal, but actually had a pretty good outcome. Uh, yes, that 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 particular deal that I know you're referring to was was important to the to the development of Beach. Um, I had poured an enormous amount of resources into finding a solution for um, the rental car industry and um, excess liability sold over the counter. And I had deliberately targeted a particular insurance company to do this. And I had, again, put an awful lot of stake in this insurance company. And as a broker, you should always be extraordinarily careful of that. You should always have backup plans if something doesn't go wrong. And I wasn't sufficiently prepared. I had put all my res- put all my depth into this particular insurance company. And I remember I was actually in London and the insurance company in the States called me and they said they'd made a decision not to move forward, even though they had given me strong signals, very strong signals, they were going to do what we needed them to do. They had made a decision not to do it. Devastating. And it was devastating. And it, I can't tell you how devastating it was because so much, many resources had been put into it. And we were not, and this was 1992. So it was three years in into the company. We were not in a, we, we, we made money, by the way, every year other than the first year but we were not in a very strong financial position. And so this was really hurting our plans because this was going to be an extraordinary big program. And so he said they'd made the decision not to. And I said, well, all I can say is you did your best. You worked hard on it. I enjoyed working with you. And I'm very, very sorry that it hasn't worked out, but I understand. And incidentally, that's consistent. I can't stand brokers putting, forcing underwriters, putting pressure, undue pressure. At the end of the day, you're taking a deal to a, an insurance company or a reinsurance company, and you're trying to get them to agree it naturally. But they are commercial people, and they have to make the decisions as they see fit on behalf of their company. And a broker should never, ever, in my view, get mad at an, at an underwriter for doing his job. The failure is on the part of the broker to convince the insurance company or reinsurance company that this is in their interest. So anyway, I said, well, thank you. And I meant it. Um, 
but it, I was looking at genuine devastation, or not devastation, but... Was the firm in peril at this point? I wouldn't say it was in peril, but it was certainly a massive setback, and certainly all my expectations went out the window, and I thought, what am I going to do now? 24 hours later, he called, and I was still in London, he called me back, and he said, the tone of your voice was such that I knew that your heart had sunk to your feet. <laughs> so I decided to go back and have another look. And he said, you've decided to do it after all. Wow. And that made an enormous difference to the company. And yes, it also paid for my house. <laughs> right. And, and how did the deal go? Terribly. Right. Unfortunately, he lost a fortune <laughs> and lost his job. Right. That was, I, that was awful. Hmm. So there's this, there's an interesting contrast that I want to draw out here, which is, you know, your, your point is incredibly powerfully made about how it's our job to manage a process, right? And to the degree that you can, you have to be disinterested in the process because that makes you a better manager of the process. It allows you to maintain strong relationships with people. But the problem is sometimes people screw up, right? And one of the interesting things about us now owning some of the intellectual capital in the process, so let's we bring in the actuaries. We know more about the process now, so we understand, we have a view implicitly or explicitly in our own minds or explicitly on a piece of paper of what of what a good deal is. And so we're kind of constrained now, I, th I wonder if you agree with that, in our ability to be dispassionate conduits for business to go through us. And so, you know, is there... To what degree is there a responsibility for us to help people not screw up in our minds? You know, it's in, in some ways it's very hard to understand what is and isn't a good deal. And you know, in my as a salesman myself, I think I don't know what the answer is here, so I'll let these guys figure it out. But you know, how much how much should you try and protect your counterparties from from sometimes making a mistake on their own as a broker? Uh, well, first of all, you can't. It's not your responsibility. But um, it's not yours. They have to. They are empowered to make their own decisions, and you have to respect that. But you do everything in your power to show them why it's in their interest to make the decision that you're trying to get them to make. Mm -hmm. If you cannot do it, as I said earlier, then you have failed. In your, you have failed. You have literally failed. Now you say it's a lot of it is actuarially driven, which is correct, and therefore because it's more objective, it's it's we the, the world has changed to a certain extent. I accept that, but to a large extent, I don't accept it. Do you know that most buying decisions are based upon emotion? They're not they're not based upon hard facts, uh, and we're all guilty of that, if that's the right word. It's just a matter of fact that you make decisions more on more on. Um, uh, emotion than anything else. Plus, you know, we don't control everything by any stretch. There are strings going on behind our customers that we have no idea about. All kinds of political um, 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 concerns, um, pressures, um, and we have definitely been victim. Our, our firm has definitely been a victim of those sorts of things. So companies can clearly make decisions that appear to go completely contrary to their own interests. But there's nothing we can do about that other than do, use our best efforts to persuade them otherwise. Hmm. If you're an actuary, you, like me, probably dread the professionalism continuing education requirement. I think that the best time to satisfy this is in podcast time, while on your commute, while walking your dog, while mowing your lawn, while doing the dishes. 
head over to notonprofessional.com where, for the price of a CAS webinar, you can get content dedicated to continuing education for actuaries, especially professionalism CE. That's notonprofessional.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting the Not Unreasonable podcast.